This morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 18. Just reminding you where we're leaving off, a few weeks ago we were in Acts chapter 10, which had to do with Peter at the house of Cornelius and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Gentiles. And the expansion of the work of salvation to bring in a new group of people. A huge change in the work of God uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. From the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And as would be expected, a major shift like this is going to be talked about in the early church. It's going to be talked about amongst the community of those who believe. And so we'll see here this morning, Peter taking news as to what has happened back to the church in Jerusalem and them beginning to discuss and hash out what has happened. This will be the first of a number of large public discussions about what God is doing and what that shift and change ought to mean in the church. So please stand to honor the Lord this morning as we read his word from Acts chapter 11 verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, Looking as it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which uh, we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gifts to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Well, Peter begins our passage this morning by recounting what has happened. He has come back from Caesarea and he has come to Jerusalem, a hundred mile journey approximately from where he was back to the seat of the Christian church and he is speaking to them about what the Lord has been doing. And the word on the street, rumors and, and word traveled fast back then just as it does today. 
And the word on the street was that Peter has been eating with and baptizing Roman Gentiles. And this is a serious problem for people that are coming from a Old Testament Jewish perspective as to what God is doing in the world. Those who were committed to circumcision, the Old Testament mark of a true uh, believer in Jewish life, they are passionate that circumcision must remain that mark, and it must remain an entry right into the church. So Peter responds to them, and his first response to them is verses 3 through 15, and it is a recounting of what happened. He tells them, he goes back through in detail, hey, this is what happened, this is what I saw, and he talks to them about this uh, vision that he saw, and the voice of the Lord, and it being repeated, and an angel being present with this man named Cornelius, and all the whole account for those that didn't know what happened. We often hear partial accounts of things, and until the person comes and tells us first person what really happened, we just don't know, and that's the way it was with these folks. They just didn't No. So he's telling them what God is doing in the world. And he is connecting past and present for them to help them understand what God is doing in the world. The second part of verse 15 is very important. When he speaks about the Holy Spirit falling on them in the house of Cornelius, he says that it was just as on us at the beginning. Which means that what he experienced there was just like at Pentecost. And he was there at Pentecost. He's the one who preaches at Pentecost. And he says, this is the same type of thing. This is just like what happened to us. And it happens now to the Gentiles. And he is connecting past and present in what God is doing to expand his gospel work in the world. Well, he draws a series of conclusions He draws three conclusions, basically, about what has happened there and what he believes that God is doing in the world. And I want us to hear these conclusions and help to understand for ourselves what is going on. The first, in verse 16, is this, that the fulfillment of the words of John the Baptist have come to pass. He says he remembered in that moment some scripture from the past or something that John had said in the past, which now is recorded as scripture for us. And the Lord works often in that way. As we're going through life and something happens and we have been in the scriptures, God will bring his word to our mind and remind us and say, ah, you know, that is exactly what God was saying here or there. And we begin to put the pieces together of what God is doing in our lives as we go through life. And this is happening with him. He says, I remembered, verse 16, I remembered the word of the Lord. How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. This appears first in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. In Matthew chapter 3, we have the, the sort of the summary sermon of the ministry of John the Baptist. And there at the end of that, but John says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John says, I baptized you with water. It's something that was symbolic. 
But Jesus, who is coming after, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which is going to be of power, not of symbolism, not speaking forward to something that is to come, but the reality of something that is true, and it will have something of fire to it, something of refining. And we know at Pentecost there is a literal flame of fire symbolizing the presence of God upon them, and it is the same here in the time of Uh, Cornelius, as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. The same words of Jesus, Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus says just before his ascension, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now the word baptize, we have to understand what that word means. The word baptize is is used for a reason. It means to immerse or to baptize. Put someone under or surround them by something. And so the believers will be immersed into or surrounded by the power of the Holy Spirit. So John foretold it. Jesus promised it. The first iteration of this happens with the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And the second happens with the Gentiles here in Cornelius' house. It is the same spirit. It is the same baptism. There is one church, one work, bringing two people groups together that there might be one work of the Holy Spirit. The phrase baptism of the Spirit is a biblical word. It's a biblical phrase. It's used twice here specifically related to these occurrences. The language is used to refer to these two occasions. These two occasions which were a turning point in the life of what was to become the church. Really, you could say a turning point or an origin point, a starting point of the church. Signs and wonders were a part of demonstrating this supernatural change, this shift from old covenant to new covenant in both situations. It was not a chaotic experience. It was not something that was out of control. It was something that had particular things that displayed the work of God's spirit in the midst so that people understood, like Peter, that this was a work of God and a shift as to what was happening from the old covenant to the new covenant. However, baptism of the Spirit is not the normal language used in the New Testament for the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. The normal language used in the New Testament is filling of the Holy Spirit. A a filling of the Holy Spirit is to be strengthened in such a way that the actions of your life are characterized fully by the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know that we don't normally and fully live in this way. We have ebbs and flows, strengthening. Some days are stronger, some days are weaker that we walk with the Lord. But we are going to see from this passage and others, there is a time we are indwelt by God's Spirit, who is always with us from the time of belief in salvation. And then there is a lessening and greater lessening, I should, listening and strengthening of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life as we go through our life. And the strengthening of God's Spirit is expressed as a filling of God's Spirit. God's power coming upon someone to accomplish what God is calling them to do. Let me say that one more time. The power of God coming upon someone to accomplish what God is calling them to do. It's important that we remember something that we talked about a long time ago at the beginning of the book of Acts. We can never accomplish the work of God without the power of God. 
If you think you're going to go out by your own gifts and your own strengths and your own abilities and do the work of God, you will fail miserably because God gets no glory out of us accomplishing things of our own strength. We are the ones who are praised. When we know that we cannot accomplish something and we're on our knees in prayer and the Lord accomplishes the work and we know that God accomplished the work and others know that God accomplished the work, the Lord is the one who is glorified. And so the first thing, the first conclusion that Peter draws from what has happened is that, excuse me, is that the fulfillment of John the Baptist's words have happened. John said this was going to happen, and it did, in fact, happen. The second conclusion that Peter draws is that God has given the Gentiles the same gift of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this a little bit two weeks ago, but he brings it here again, and he's going to keep bringing this to bear. That God has given the same Spirit and the same gift to the Gentiles as was given to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity, eternally existing, and has always been at work in the world but is now particularly working in a different way. The same pattern that Peter sees here is continuing on in our day, where he says they believed, and after they believed, they received the Holy Spirit. And so it is with us that we believe, and after we believe, we receive God's Spirit. It is less dramatic in our time, but it is no less real, no less transforming, and no less powerful. When we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And God is going to work in us through and by His Holy Spirit. We're going to camp on this and spend the rest of the sermon on this after we look at the third conclusion of Peter. So hold on for just one moment there. So the words of John are fulfilled. The Gentiles have received the same spirit. And third, who are we to oppose the work of God? That's the last section of verse 17, which is a powerful statement. Who am I to stand in the way of God? And that's an important rhetorical question. When God is doing something, do I think I can stand in the way of that? And the answer is no. But amazingly, people are constantly doing that. All throughout the Bible and all throughout church history, we find countless excuse me, examples of people doing their absolute best to stand in the way of God and trying to oppose the work of God in the world. We should not be so foolish as to oppose the work of God in the world. Like Peter, we should have enough spiritual discernment to be able to see what is happening, understand that it is a work of the Lord, and then join in with that work instead of fighting against it. It is a hallmark of what we try to do here in this church is through spiritual discernment, understand what God is doing in the world and then join him in that work. We believe that God brings to us opportunities to serve in his kingdom and to be involved with his work. And as those opportunities are brought to our doorstep, we should enter into those opportunities. What we just prayed about here this morning is one of those things. Something happened in the world, and through a series of connections that already existed with people in this church, an opportunity was put directly before us that we felt 
that we ought to be involved with. And so we kept pulling that string to see, well, where is this going to go? Is this something that the Lord does have for us? And the doors kept opening and opening and opening and opening to where it became very clear we ought to be involved with this. And so then we canvassed the church and there are brothers and sisters involved with what we need to help in this situation. And they began to be involved and we are trying to join God as to where he is working in the world. And that is where we want to be as a people. Though the critics are trying to quiet Peter, he struggles back against them. In this particular situation, it is those who are raising up circumcision as a necessary entry gate to the church. Now, they're quieted at this point in time after they hear his testimony and his word as to what is going on, but they do not go away. They come back in Acts 15, and there's another council, a whole meeting of the church to decide what are we officially going to do with this subject, and we will get there in a few weeks. But what I want to spend in the remainder of our time this morning, because the sermon will be shorter today related to the Lord's Supper, is the midst, uh, in the midst of what is happening here, what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? And I'll get as far as I can this morning. If we can't complete this, we'll continue it next week because it's radically important that we understand this. Maybe I was asleep, maybe I wasn't listening, but as a kid, I don't remember people talking about this much in church. I don't remember people emphasizing the necessity of the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, and that if we don't understand this, and we don't get on board with this, there will be no, no true ministry in the church. Why is this? Because the deliberate outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 and 10 demonstrates the active presence of God in the world, especially in the church. The Holy Spirit demonstrates for us the active presence of God in the world, especially in the church. The Holy Spirit is the primary person of the Trinity present to accomplish God's work in the world now. Let me read that again, because God chooses how he is going to work in the world in various times. And God is not working in the world now in the exact same way he was working during the time of Moses in the world. The Holy Spirit is the primary person of the Trinity present to accomplish God's work in the world now. Jesus was very clear. I am ascending and someone will be sent, a helper will be sent to you to strengthen you to be able to accomplish God's word, work. And so if God says he is sending his spirit, particularly that it might accomplish his will in the world, we should desire that and we should seek that. The question we should all ask is, is God still working in the world in our time? Is God still working in the world in our time? Now, I know that in a, in a cursory manner, you're going to say, oh, yes, yes, of course God is still working in the world in our time. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God is still working in the world in our time? You have to believe that because God is still existing. He has not returned again, and he is still continuing his purposes in the world. And so primarily, we should look to the Holy Spirit to be that agent of work. Do we want to see God work in the world? If we want to see God work in the world and we want to be a part of what he is doing in the world, our way of doing that is to obey his will and see God's spirit work through us. Let's, let's work that point out a bit more. 
The New Testament spends much space explaining the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. There is so much said in the New Testament about the nature and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it is not a chaotic work. It is not a bizarre work, but it is a supernatural work. I use that word often. Uh, I'll define it once again. Super means above or outside of. A supernatural work means a work that is outside of the normal Uh, conditions and operating space of the world. It's outside of the normal 24 hours in a day and gravity and seasons and predictable things that I know I can do this and this and get that response. The work of God in the world is outside of the normal workings of the world and he acts upon the world for one main purpose, which is to save sinners for his glory. The story of the history of the world is about redemption and about the Lord God working the redemption of men and women and boys and girls, that they might be saved and he might be glorified through their salvation. And so the agent of this supernatural work in our time is primarily the Holy Spirit. I would argue that the Holy Spirit is accomplishing four basic things as we go forward from Acts 2 and Acts 10, and the church is discovering and working out these things from this point in the scripture where Peter is so clear, God is working, and I can't stand in his way, so let's join him. What is the work of the Holy Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit is to empower, purify, reveal, and unify. Those are at least four works of the Holy Spirit. Empower, purify, reveal, and unify. Let's begin with empower. The Holy Spirit empowers, meaning he begins with life. We have no spiritual life without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings spiritual life to us. We all begin in spiritual death, in spiritual separation from God. And we cannot create or cause spiritual life to come out of the spiritual death of our person. One verse that's so important to this, there's many that could be said, but John 6, 63, Jesus is very plain. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The Spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. If you know that you have a friend, a neighbor, a relative that is dead in their spirit and they have no life, it is not enough for them to to, to keep appealing to them to, you can do it, I know you can do it. This is something that if you just think in this way or follow this formula, that, that life will come to you. That is not what is happening here. We are praying for them and calling for them to believe in God's spirit and to ask God to impart to them spiritual life that they might pass from death to life. So the first part of the empowering of the Holy Spirit is the giving of spiritual life. Somewhat on the opposite end of the spectrum, the second part of this empowering is the resurrection of the body. There will come a time when each of us die, and when we die, if we know Christ as our Savior, our soul will depart to be with the Lord in glory. But we are promised in Scripture that there will be a resurrection of the body from the dead. Likened to the resurrection of the body of Christ, those of us in Christ, one day our bodies will also be resurrected. And when we are in the eternal state with the Lord our God, we will not be 
uh, disembodied spirits. We will be embodied, but in a glorious way. We will be known as who we are, and it will be our souls rid of sin and our bodies resurrected in a glorious way. And it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, Romans 8, 11, again, one of many verses that could be read, but a clear summary verse. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So direct language of the Spirit of God working to resurrect Christ Jesus bodily. And that same Holy Spirit by the same power will one day work our resurrection from the dead. And that we await that in uh, now and we will await it after we die until the last day when there shall be a resurrection brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. The third aspect of empowering here is the power to serve and to obey Jesus. We must understand that when we come into salvation and we enter into this new life that is given to us by Christ, we enter into it on our knees and we enter into it asking God to make us who we need to be, to refine us, to sanctify us. That's the language of the scriptures, which means to set us apart from this world. And it is a work of God's spirit. It's something that each and every day we are saying, God, strengthen me. And we know from God's word that he gives particular spiritual gifts and that diversity across the church. When we look at a church like this, we know that God by his design and by his purposes has put, in, has put certain gifts into the hearts of Christians all throughout this audience. And we have seen this amazingly work out in the life of this church that there has never been a need in this church that we have not been able to meet through the people of this church, through the spiritually gifted people of this church saying, yes, I will do that. Yes, I can do this. Yes, I will go do that. Every single time, it's an aspect of sacrificial living, of laying down something of yourself to take up something that needs to be done. And in every way that it is done for the glory of Christ, it is always done by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether this is to preach or to pray or to lead or to give generously or to evangelize or to serve the needy and the poor or to deliver from evil, to speak true words to one another in counseling, whatever it may be, God's Spirit is at work amongst the church to meet the needs of the church in this community. And that is by design, but it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We should not think we are totally and completely wrong and we are taking from the glory of God if we think that those things happen because we have a really talented group of people in this church. Oh, we have a really amazing group of people in this church. I hear that said often and I believe that's true. This is an amazing group of people, but it's an amazing group of people because of what God's Spirit is doing in us, not what we are in and of ourselves. It is God's Spirit working to empower and strengthen and grow and change that we might be more like Christ. And so when we see amazing things happening in our midst, we give glory to God for what he's doing in our midst. So that's the first work of the empowering of, the first work of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. 
We're to continue this next week with the purifying work of the Holy Spirit, the revealing work of the Holy Spirit, and the unifying work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, a little preview. It shouldn't be a, uh, a newsflash that the work of the Holy Spirit is to purify. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of holiness. And that ought to be working holiness in our lives. We should expect that. And so we'll camp out on that a bit more next week. But I don't want us to go too long today. I want to spend the appropriate time with the Lord's Supper. So let's, let's bow our heads and pray at this time. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we bow our heads before you. We thank you for the sending of the Holy Spirit. We could not live the Christian life. We could not enter into salvation if it were not for the work of your Spirit. There would be no church without the work of the Holy Spirit. There would be no resurrection hope in the future. There would be no resurrection of Jesus apart from the power of God. We thank you that you have not forgotten us but that you know very well our names and who we are and that you have sent your spirits to continue your work in our time and in our age. And so we turn our hearts towards you and we remember the words of Jesus that we would do the Lord's Supper, what we are about to do, the elements we are about to partake of. We would do these in remembrance of Christ. Turn our hearts towards the cross, O Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.